Hi, this is the coach, Brendan Sir. I'm excited to announce our 10th anniversary of Coaching You. We plan on celebrating by having our very first VIP experience event this summer in Las Vegas at Impact Basketball. Same great quality, terrific speakers, but here's what's new. This is a VIP-only event with only 100 courtside seats available. Here's what's included. All videos, courtside seating, meals, Coaching You t-shirt, Pad Folio, and a chance to network with our speakers. Act now to take advantage of our holiday special, only $2.99 through December. Register now at coachingyoulive.com. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. I'm really excited today. One of my best friends in coaching, Alan Major, is our guest today. And the reason that I wanted Alan to speak to you guys today, guys and gals, is because he has a story that I think will really resonate. I'm going to take you on his journey as a manager at Purdue under the great Hall of Famer Gene Cady, all the way up to becoming a head coach at Charlotte. And then all of a sudden, incurring a tremendous medical issue that made him step away from coaching and how he's rebounding and how he's continuing an incredible life. Young guy, vibrant guy, one of the highest energy, great personalities that I know in coaching. Listen close. Enjoy my friend, Alan Major. Hey, let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market today. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and to provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind of basketball shooting industry that enables coaches and players to stay connected, design and upload training exercises that combine shooting, conditioning, and ball handling into one complete workout, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is without question the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. It's been the official shooting machine of Coaching You for the last two years. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to Dr. Dish basketball.com or follow them on twitter at dr dish b ball so excited today to have one of my old friends and and really fabulous coaches uh with us alan major alan was an incredible assistant at ohio state with that mata uh also at xavier when thad and he had these great runs they had terrific players probably five or seven NBA players in that group. But, uh, you know, Thad Mata was the guy in coaching. And uh, that's a whole other podcast for another day uh, because he's a, not just a great coach, a better guy almost. And and so, and Alan was his guy and, and did an amazing job with him. And then from there, went to Charlotte and took over the program there as a head coach. But wanna Alan, welcome in and so glad that you could join us on Coaching You Podcast. Thanks, buddy. It's great to hear your voice again, man. It's been a while since we caught up, so I, I really appreciate you having me. Hey, when you when you were at Purdue, 
Uh, you were a manager mm-hmm. to this guy that I don't know if he ever made it. Was it Gene Cady? Was it that? Was that who? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> and, you know, kind of guy. You know, fledgling coach and stuff. But what was it like working for Gene back in those days? You know what? Um, I still give him the nickname Brendan uh, Coach Cady to me, and I'm sure I probably speak for a lot of both players and managers alike. He's like a basketball granddad. Uh-huh. And uh, I was young when both my you know grand uh, grandparents, uh, especially grandfathers, passed away. I was just really tiny, and so you know you just don't ever sometimes get to run around and hold their hand uh, like you like you would have liked. And so when I got to Purdue, he he he's just got this uh, tough exterior, uh, and you know sometimes you, you wouldn't know whether to approach him or say hi or not say hi, you know, but the more you get to know him, there's just this heart of gold that's underneath. I mean, he is a, um, he's such a down to earth, um, you know, he's like a meat and potatoes type of guy. What you see is what you get. You know, there's not a lot of fluff, and not a lot of extra whatever to him. Uh, he's, he's so real and uh, he's so authentic and, um, you know, to this day, he's one that been the, been the, one of the biggest basketball influences of my life. You know, I'm intrigued down by uh, so many young people that we have in the coaching profession started off as managers, and I'm often I'm I'm in awe of the people that they served. That that person, Gene Cady, in this case, mm-hmm. influenced them so much that they said. I want to be a coach. I want to be like yeah. that person. And then that that person obviously responded to them and encouraged them. Explain yeah. the relationship with Coach Katie and yourself and how, or, and how that whole thing happened. Yeah, you know, the advice initially came from my high school coach, and he, he gave me that realistic talk that, you know, <laughs> maybe sometimes a lot of players don't get these days. But he said, hey, you know, I, I – I was going to Purdue anyway. My senior year of high school had some academic money to go there. So, you know, um, I, my high school coach and I have a talk and I, you know, we mentioned coaching and, uh, he had said, Hey, I think you have a, a mind for coaching. You may want to, you know, consider that. And, um, you know, I wanted to keep playing, you know, how it is. I mean, you don't want your career to end. So I wanted to go to Purdue, try to walk on. That was the initial plan. And then, um, so I get there and, freshman year 6 a.m in the morning there's 11 guys that walk on tryout <laughs> and uh they keep one guy a little Ooh. guard named marvin ray who had played for gary roosevelt won state title yeah. the year before and they wanted marvin to hawk everett stevens every day in practice okay and so i go back to the office the next day actually talk to kevin stallings about wow. asking him about a managerial position he says hey why don't you come back the next day and uh, I went back the next day, spoke to the head manager at the time. They had one spot left. Wow. Imagine that. There's one spot left as a, as a manager. And so, I, you know, my high school coach had said, hey, look, leave your pride in the dorm if you get cut. And you better be willing to do whatever you have to do, not just to hang around the program, but you got to be in the belly of the beast every day. And you got to see how a program operates at a high level year round, not just be a regular student and go watch practice from time to time. That's not going to cut. it. So to this day, Fred Bells are my high school coach. Some of the greatest advice I've ever received, because if he doesn't have that sit down with me and that talk with me, my senior year, 
before our season ends. Maybe I don't go to that, you know, that route as a manager, and who knows where I'd be. Well, you, so, might, you might go to Marion University. No offense to Marion. I mean, or some school, you know, a small school where you play, right. where you play. And, right. and you may right. never make any of these contacts and influence that you, you got. So, no, that, that's, absolutely. A, that's great. Absolutely. Yeah. So, to fast forward, I get to my senior year, and, and uh, they, they talk about who the head manager is going to be. And, and I'll never forget, Steve Lavin came to me one day, and they, they have a meeting in the spring amongst the coaching staff about who the head manager is going to be because he kind of is a lot liaison between – organizing the managers and he's kind of like a, a ear to the door of the coaches you know <laughs> so um steve lavin came to me he said hey coach katie really he said he really likes you you know he thinks he thinks you have a chance to be a really good head manager he's and his words in their meeting he had said you know hey i, I, I like alan he just comes to work every day he doesn't say a word just does his job how about that and uh i i was kind of shocked and one thing led to another and you know uh, all of a sudden you're named head manager and you're able to really kind of now especially from the coaching side of it get deeper yeah and that's what that's what it allows you to do and so uh you know but coach katie uh, just a side note personally i mean when i lost my dad in the year 2000 the very first set of flowers that come to the house are from gene katie and purdue you know basketball <laughs> Uh, with a note in there. And so, you know, those are the things that people don't know about him. And so that's why it's always fun to talk about him. Because, is. you know, people know what they know and they, because they know what they see, but they don't know that part of them in terms of having that heart of gold. Yeah, two interesting takeaways is uh, Lavin has come up in several podcasts as someone, and I, I really like Steve who's no matter where he was, whether he was a head coach, an assistant at UCLA, a head coach at St. John's or UCLA, mm -hmm. he's always looking to help people and people. Yeah. And I don't mean this, but, and I think this is a real tribute to Steve people, not on his level, but people below him that you don't have to reach to help, like helping a child, so to speak, you know, Absolutely. You yeah. And I, I think that's a wonderful quality of him. Uh, that Absolutely. he does that, you know, yeah. T tell me, and you know, and my, my, my other son is Conzo Martin, and he loves Coach Katie. I mean, <laughs> yes. just loves that man. And uh, when when players talk about people, and the way Matt Painter talks about Coach Katie, and I mm -hmm. mean, you know, that just tells you about the greatness of a man. Uh, yeah. If you had to give a couple of takeaways to a young, you know, you know, uh, boy or girl that is serving mm -hmm. a men's or women's team uh, as a manager to help them get into coaching. What would, what would some of the things be if they get in that position? Cause we have so many people that even come to coaching you now or listen to our podcast that are managers yeah, and, they, and yeah. they want, and they're the rising coaches of the world. You know, they, they want to get in there. They love their profession. They want to, there's, there's, you know, and, and I think there's a lot of talented people there. What could be a couple of things that you, you know, might recommend? Well, one, I think, is just the mentality that you bring to that position, regardless of, you know, head manager, uh, freshman manager, whatever the case may be. I think it's it's the mentality of, you know, they always say in coaching and in life and business, you know, be a go-getter. Yeah, you got to be a go-getter. Mm -hmm. And I think the key when you're a young person like that and you're a sophomore, junior year, and you maybe kind of have this twinge that you want to coach, 
I think your mindset, especially when you're a manager, is be a go-giver. Go-giver. Uh, so don't go be a go-getter. Be a go-giver. And what I mean by that is your four most important words when you walk into that arena every day are, how can I help? And sometimes the four word, most important words that people will mistakenly get is, you know, what's what can I get? <laughs> <laughs> and so you kind of have to shift your thinking, you know, and, and it's a, you know, you, it's a selfless service position, you know, you have to be okay with grinding in the dark and no one's around. And so, you know, sometimes when your people and family, they see you on TV running around with chairs and stuff like that, that's a little glorious, but there's more unglorious things that are going on. And you have to kind of just have this mindset of how can I help, you know, what, how can I make the program better today. And sometimes it'll be something visible that everybody sees. Large majority of the time it's going to be something invisible that nobody sees, but it's equally impactful. So that would be my one That's great. Just mentality that you've got to embrace that when you're in that position. And then the second part of it is be a student of the game. You know, if it's something that you really want to do and, and you really want to chase it, then, whether it's you know coaching clinics, um, I still remember I used to sneak in the Coach Weber. Bruce Weber was an assistant, and when I was at Purdue as a manager, and I would go into his office in the evenings, and he had, and I'm dating myself here, but he had v- all the coaching videos, VHS tapes, you know, along his wall on his bookcase, uh-huh. and I, I'd go in and I'd snatch one, and I'd run down to the manager lounge, and I'd pop one in the VCR, and. um you know, I was just kind of my way of, of doing some learning. And so you really have to embrace the learning part of it, not just what do our practices look like, and you know, what's my favorite shooting drill that we do at Wichita State or wherever you're a manager at. It's how do I view the game? You know, and even at that young age, you want to start to even get an idea of like, you know, what, what type of basketball fits me. And how do I want to view the game? What type of lenses do I want to see the game through? And then those lenses are going to continue to clarify and get clearer as you continue to learn more about the game. And you go to a coach's clinic in the off season. You go, you know, the, to the Nike clinics. You know, you save up some money. Nike still has you, clinics. <laughs> I, yeah, I thought coaching I, you was the only one that had clinics. I didn't know Nike. St- no, I'm joking. I'm, joking. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was yeah, a, or, uh, or coaching you. Yeah, coaching you clinics are yeah, the ones you, you really you want to learn from. You could have easily just ended the podcast right there. Would have yeah. been justified by what I just said. But um, the idea of just being a learner. So be a giver and be a learner. Uh, in a nutshell, and I, I think those it. two things will really kind of, you know, trigger. Your, your, the passion to want to be a coach. And then there'll they'll come a point where they've got to make a decision. So that's the third part. You know, do I want to really do it and really chase it? And if you do, you've got to treat it like a marriage. You know, you don't know how it's going to look in the end. You just got to, you got to wrap your arms around the journey. And boy, that's a hell of an analogy. I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, hey, so when you finish at Purdue, you say, you say to yourself, Hey, I want to coach. Mm-hmm. Now the hardest thing always is where do I get the opportunity? And, yeah, and you went west, my man, huh? Yeah, you know what? Um, when I graduated in 1992, it was the same year they eliminated GAs. 
Oh, gosh. Uh, and you probably remember that. They, well, I was in the pros. We didn't, we didn't have GAs in the pros, baby. I was in the NBA yeah. then, man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in college, they eliminated graduate assistants in 1992. So you had all these guys that had been GAs looking for a job. And then you had, you know, uh, guys like me, fresh out of college, also looking for a job. So it was just, a, you want to talk about a flooded market. Wow. And, uh, you know, I'd done what a lot of managers do. I'd, I'd typed up over 300 letters and sent them to every Division One school looking for any type of uh, position of any kind. And, you know, one letter after another came back, thanks but no thanks. Well, mm-hmm. I had met Mike Dunlap, who's now at uh, Loyola Marymount. At the time, Mike Dunlap was coaching at Cal Lutheran University, Division Three school in Thousand Oaks. Yep. And uh, I had met him working, ironically, Steve Lavin's summer camps. And so, um, you know, we had a conversation at summer camp and got to know each other. Well, a, a, a fellow Purdue manager, a friend of mine, a guy named Jeff Irwin, he and I go up to the 1992 Final Four in Minneapolis. And I took my last 78 bucks out of the bank and he had like a, a Ford Fiesta or something like that. We just jump in his car, drive 11 hours from West Lafayette up to Minneapolis. And just to go and be managers, you know, you hang out. Where do you go? We're going to the coach's lobby. <laughs> you know, we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna hang out and shake hands and you know whatever. So I run into Coach Dunlap at the Final Four. We have a, a now a, a conversation about what I'm doing, and one thing led to another, and um, I was able to go to Cal Lutheran and uh, be a kind of a grad assistant for him, which is you do everything at that point as sure. an assistant coach. Division three, fantastic program. Uh, we ended up number one in the country um, in the, our second year, my second year there, which was the 93-94 season. And um, then Coach Dunlap went to Australia. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Rich Ryder came in and took over. I stayed with Rich for another year. So I was uh, at California for uh, Cal Lutheran for three years total, got my master's degree, and um you know, then you, you kind of you feel like you got your pinky toe pinky toe in the business at that from that point forward. Yeah, that, that, it's great. And then you know, we're you know, then you went Pacific. You you know, had a good uh, opportunity there to work with the number one pick in the draft, Michael Candy. But then when you came back, and you know, or you had other. But when I want to fast forward to kind of when you got to Xavier and you come mm-hmm. and you get a chance to work with that. What was that whole, you know, because, you know, Xavier has become a powerhouse program. But yes. They, you know, but, you know, from when Pete Gillen and all those guys were doing it, I mean, it just became, uh, it, it. they really, you know, did it all on their own, so to speak, kind of like Butler did. Very know? similar. Yeah. yeah. Great analogy. And uh, yeah. so tell me about that experience and how that prepared you for, let's say, Ohio State. Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, uh Skip Prosser left, and uh, uh, ironically, uh, Mike Babinski at the, at the time was in Xavier AD. And I don't know if you remember the game where Butler uh, beat Wake Forest uh, in the NCAA tournament, and the halftime score was forty-three to ten. Oh my God, no! Uh, yeah, so that was I want to say the uh, that would have been the two thousand one uh, NCAA tournament, and uh, so. It, I believe it was in Kansas City, if I'm not mistaken. So I guess Xavier was in that same venue. 
and uh, the Xavier AD sees Butler's guys that night after the game or something like that in a restaurant and they're buttoned up and, you know, kind of handling themselves and Thad's with them. And I think that kind of caught his eye. And Thad gets an interview uh, after Skip left to go to Wake. And uh, next thing you know, he's the head coach at Butler. But um, I'll tell you a funny story how I ended up going back with that. And I, I don't want to get off message here sure, too no much. Problem, but no problem. Um, when I went, I, I went to Pacific two different times. And the second time I went back to Pacific, uh, I promised the head coach there, Bob Thomas, and I would stay for two years. Well, at the end of my first year of the two-year commitment, Thad got the uh, had gotten a Butler job mm -hmm. after Barry Collier went to Nebraska. And so he had called asking if I wanted to come back. Uh, this would have been spring of 2000. He had asked if I wanted to come back and work with him in Indianapolis, where I'm from. You know? oh, and my dad had just passed away two months before. So if there's ever a time to go back to Indy, it's then. But I had another year commitment promise to uphold at Pacific. So I had to pass on it. Well, ironically, Thad's only the coach at Butler for a year before going to Xavier. Wow. So we end up on the phone again that very next year. And I said, I got to come back this time because you're not going to call me again <laughs> if I turn this down. So it's just, it's, it's an amazing, it was kind of just an amazing deal how it all happened. But our mindset when we got to Xavier is that, you know, you're, when it's, it's, you know, happens in every profession, you know, when a new management takes over a company, that company is in some form of a state when that new management gets there. It's either got to be fixed because it's broken or it's been really successful and the other guys moved on because they had done such a great job. Well, that was kind of the case with Skip going to Wake. You know, he had done a great job and that elevated him forward. So we came to Xavier and like our mind says, we've got to try to do everything we can to leave this better than we found it. This is a special, we didn't need to fix anything. Nothing was broken. It was a phenomenal program. And so that was our mindset is just, uh, you know, and we were fortunate enough to be able to have David West for two of our three years there, who was just such an anchor for us. Um, uh, he's such a high level performer, still playing to this day for the Warriors. And so, um, we're able to kind of build a lot of what we did around David and you had some other terrific players there, Romain Sato, you know, Lionel Chalmers, um, you know, Anthony, uh, Kevin Fry is, was another holdover, uh, that remained. And, and, uh, so just a lot of guys that we were able to, to continue to build what uh, the program about, uh, on what Skip had left behind. So when you, you stay there, what were the biggest things that had a savior, now, what league are they in at that point, Xavier? Uh, that was Atlantic Ten. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. and and so, how? What was the key to having them be able to compete? Was it just that they had such a? Was it? Did you have the new arena at that point, or no? No. It was already there. Yeah. The it was. Center, was Center it there? Center okay. Was already in place. So you had yeah. a first class facility, and yep. then, and then you had really good players. Yeah. So you just well, and, and, yeah. and I think the third thing, the third to add to that, I think, um, and this is what one of the things that makes that so great is that um, we really sold the guys uh, once we got there about having a partnership, meaning that 
it's not just about us as coaches. It's not just about you as players, but we're going to have this partnership of development. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll just what I mean by that is, okay, we have a plan to help you get better as players. If you guys just jump into that and you see yourself improve, you're going to put pressure back on us as coaches. Now we got to go get better. You know, and I got to go get on the phone with an NBA guy or European guy and get two skill things or whatever it is. So then all we do with our improvement as coaches is we're just going to turn around and hand that right back to you as players again. So I think what helped us, I, I hope that we could feel like and people look like we elevated Xavier being that the third year we went to the Elite Eight and that was a historic thing. The school had never been to an Elite Eight. And so, I think part of helping us leave it better than we found it was this uh, this atmosphere of development mm-hmm. and and make, and making it a partnership. So it's not just oh hey guys go get shots and let us know how you did. It's we're going to be in the trenches with you. We're going to roll up our sleeves with you. We're going to sweat with you and work with you. And and because we're invested in it ourselves. And as you guys get better, you're going to put the pressure back on us, healthy pressure to go get better. And then we're going to turn around and help you get better again. And it's like playing, you know, you just have this back and forth of sharing the responsibility of growing as opposed to just putting it all on the kids. I love that, you know, and that's very similar to an NBA philosophy. Uh, You know, there's, you know, in college, I think the coach is the star and, uh, Mm -hmm. but in the pros, the players are the stars. And if you as a coach think you are the star, those yeah. guys stop playing for you and right uh, yeah and so it has to be a partnership and uh, yeah no that's really well done alan uh tell me about the ohio state thing i mean that is one of the great to me as an outsider one of the great jobs in the country in any sport correct it is it is it's special a special place um i'm so thankful for that being uh uh, seven years of, of my journey as a coach and just being a part of it. Uh, it's special. Uh, it's not a place like it. Um, it's a uh, 1.5 million or, you know, whatever college town <laughs> with no pro team or Amazing. no uh, NBA team of, or any kind of, you know, pro soccer, but, uh, and hockey, but no three major sport pro team. So, you know, you're both the college and the pro team. Wow. When you're, when you're at Ohio State. And it's just a, it's a special place. It's touched every part of the world as a university. Um, and, um, you know, like I say, I'm, did it end how we wanted it to? You know, unfortunately, we didn't see that situation coming. No one did. But, um, but bitterness isn't the way to go. You know, I think that's, that's like drinking poison and expecting it to affect someone else's stomach (laughs) and not yours. That's a great line. So, yeah, um, I, I I think thankfulness is the way to go, and that's the route I've chosen. That's and uh, just being able to be there and um, be in a Final Four and, and back in 2007, and um, actually coaching the last game of the season, even though we didn't win it. Um, you know, just so many things uh, to be thankful for for being there. So truly a special place in a lot of ways. And it's not just a football school. I mean, right. the spotlight's big, spotlight's big enough for everybody there. Yeah, no. And, uh, you know, they've really, I mean, they've, they've done it in almost every sport. Tell me about, uh, how, Oh, the recruiting process when you and Thad, you guys went out and you reached back a lot into Indy 
uh, and brought in this incredible cl freshman class, the Mike Conleys, the Greg Odens, uh, and along with the Ohio guy, uh, Daquan Cook, I believe. Uh, how did that all transpire? Well, you know, those three guys being on the same AAU team didn't hurt. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. they, made, they made one of those great packs, right? Yeah. We're going to play together, right? And Right, right. Yeah, like, they, like you see now, I mean, and, and yeah, Daquan, also had and Daquan pick for, Did Daquan pick first, too, on top of it? He did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and then you had Derek, uh, you know, Eric Gordon and Josh McRoberts all on that same Speece and the Heat team. So wow. just a, a ridiculous crew. Uh, but to, to backtrack a notch, I think what helped us in recruiting, it, it wasn't so much that class. It was the performance of, and I'll, I'll name the captains, you know, the, the Terrence Dials, J.J. Sullinger, Matt Sylvester, and Jaquel Foster, who were kind of our core captain guys for the 2006 Big Ten Championship team. I think that we were either picked seventh or eighth in the league and ended up winning it outright. And so that crew is as close to my coaching heart and personal heart as any team ever because they proved that, hey, you know, they created some buy-in for all the future guys that we ended up getting. Because that even convinced Mike and Greg that hey yeah those got yeah you you can win it there and you can get the job done there and so uh, and it validated that obviously not that sure. you needed it at that point but when you get somewhere new you do need that validation again you know and so I think that Big Ten championship team in two thousand six. Uh, it just drove home the fact to, to Mike and Greg and Daquan and then the addition of David Lighty and then uh, another junior college guy, Othello Hunter. Those guys were called the – you probably remember the group called the Thad Five. <laughs> uh, and that's what they nicknamed those guys. You know, those five guys came in and then uh, we were able to make a great run that next year and end up uh, in the championship game against Florida in the 07 Final Four. Yeah. True. But um, it wasn't like just Conley and Odin show up and then that's it. I mean, I think it was it was the work that those guys had done, you know, that group, that 06 group that I named. And that 06 group was there when we got there. You know, so we had been with that group for two years. Uh, and um, they just kind of validated Thad. They validated Ohio State again. And then when Mike and Greg came, they basically took – pick up the baton and ran with it and um and and as a group obviously too not just us, those two guys but that helped us really get back to a national stage but um that that 06 group is really special brendan tell me about uh, because the, yeah, they, they were they were really no they were really phenomenal tell me about mike conley i saw him as a, fr a rookie and i remember i was with the knicks then in the front office and isaiah was a huge fan because i think his son played on the AAU team with those guys and uh, when Isaiah from Isaiah's days is a you know a coach at the Pacers and uh, tell me and he loved Mike Conley tell me mm -hmm. what made him so special as a collegiate you, player you know what um, I, the best way I can describe it Brendan is a lot of guys want to be pros meaning they want to get to the NBA and, and be in that elite group and that's great. Uh, but very few guys want to be professionals before they become pros. And 
Mike Conley was a professional even before he came became a pro. And what I mean by that, he was a professional in terms of his character. He was a professional in terms of how he handled his academics. He was a professional in terms of putting his work in. You know, uh, was a very poor shooter uh, coming out of high school. Just wasn't known for yeah. shooting the ball. But when you're that fast and you get to the rim, whatever you want, you kind of, <laughs> you know, you don't really see the value of shooting and understand how that's going to benefit your career when you're that young. Um, but he put time into his, his, his shooting and got, became a better shooter as the year wore on his freshman year. But, um, he was a professional even before he became a pro him becoming a pro was just getting drafted and shaking David Stern's hand as the fourth pick, how about that? but how he carried himself was, he was a professional from day one and obviously having a dad that had participated in the Olympics that he had the benefit of just being in a different household and a different type of dinner table. And um, I know Mike Conley senior would do uh, some mental training, you know, with uh, Mike and Greg, you know, when they were younger. And, and uh, so, you know, he's just, uh, he's got all the, the boxes checked uh, as a winner, as a person, character, uh, obviously talent, um, never received a technical in his life ever How about to that? this day. How about that? And, and and you want to talk about winning. Here's a stat that nobody knows. Um, he and Greg played together from, I don't know, really young age, bitty ball. So someone gave me their record from being young guys all the way up through hundreds upon hundreds of AAU games and everything, including their freshman year at Ohio State. Their record together is 800 wins and 16 losses. And I told Thad when I heard that, I said, we were 35 and four as a Final Four team. We're responsible for 25% of their losses. God, are we, boy, are we bums. <laughs> How about that? So, so it just goes to show you the fabric of what a guy's made of, you know. And I hope the people that don't know that are listening and able to kind of just, when you watch him play, uh, just enjoy him, even though. He, you know, is he, will he be a Hall of Famer or not? I, I don't know that. I hope he has a chance to win an NBA title. He deserves it. But special, special person, uh, and has completely wrapped his arms around that Memphis community because he has multiple times won the uh, Community Service Award as an NBA player. That's neat. That is really neat. Sad story, but one that we thought was going to be spectacular coming out was Greg Oden. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me of what he was like to coach, first of all. You know, um, Greg loved to learn. Uh, and I remember going recruiting one day because uh, I had to, I worked with the bigs when I was at Ohio State. And, uh, you know, he and I had a post-practice routine every day, and I'll quickly share it with you. 100 made jump hooks uh, from five spots. So 50 shooting, you know, 50 with the right hand, 50 with the left hand. And then he had a jump shot routine where he'd hit seven different spots, 15 footers. Well, one day I had to go recruiting. So I grabbed my keys after practice. I'm rushing out the door and I hear this voice go, Hey, and he's standing on the opposite court, kind of with both hands in the air. Like, where are you going? And I dropped my keys <laughs> and uh, I said, I'll get to that game at halftime, <laughs> you know? So I went back and, but that's him. You know, he, that loved, he loved to work. He loved to learn. Uh, just a joy uh, to coach. Um, 
didn't have the star ego of not, you know, where there's that wall where nothing's getting through. Um, I mean, knew he had talent, trusted his talent, but he didn't rely on his talent. You know, he wanted to learn and, uh, just a, just a, a joy to be around every day. You could see he was going to be the first pick, right? I mean, that, you know, I mean, yeah. 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 And, and, and no slight on Durant. I mean, but I mean, you know, those were the two guys I believe coming out at that time and it was one, two. And yes, I, I think, yeah. you know, I, I remember I said, well, if I had the first pick, I'd pick Odin, you know, and there, I think I was yeah. pretty much on, it was a majority uh, by far. I don't yeah. That, that type of size and length and yeah. athleticism. I Great mean, that's, body. That's, that's yeah. generational. Yeah, those guys don't come along often. Yeah, yeah, and and so sad to see what happened with Denise. Now he was back at Ohio State, finishing his degree. Now, right? Still there. Yeah, he's doing great. I went to his wedding uh, this summer. He got married out in Maui. It's beautiful. Um, he's got a daughter now, and just uh, for me, you know, this is the thing. You hope maybe people understand about coaching, and you understand this. Uh, I don't know if fans always understand it. Um, you know, when you see these guys as they grow and become men, uh, very rarely do we ever talk about, boy, that great game that we beat Wisconsin that one time. You know, you're talking about bus rides and you're laughing about um, things they did, you know, back when they were on, on the team and, and a funny thing that happened at a meal or, you know, a team dinner. Uh, and then it, there's just the swelling of pride that you feel when you see these guys grow up and become men and fathers. Uh, I, I tell you what, you know, you get paid to do what you do, obviously, when you're coaching. But like when you see these guys grow and develop the way they do, it's like you keep getting paid over and over again, even mm -hmm. when you're not. Boy, that's good. No, that's good. And I like so that. Um, I'm just so proud of the grace that he's handled his situation with knowing that, you know, the playing career is over. He shifted to, I think he's still helping the team out uh, with coach Holtman. And um, I think he wants to stick around basketball. I don't know what role. I don't think he wants to be a guy that, you know, is running around scouting and recruiting and all that. I think he wants to maybe, you know, be a little bit more of an in-house guy uh, that's around every day. I think he would be a, a terrific player development guy. Oh, that's good. Uh, just because of the stories he's got to share personally and his knowledge. Well, that's that's good. Hopefully that's a, a good ending for him. Fast Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastScout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional scouting reports customized for your team. Fast Model is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team and 85% of Division I college teams 
and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills for their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit fastmodelsports.com or follow them on Twitter at fastmodel. When you left Ohio State and you got the phenomenal opportunity with Judy Rose, the AD down at uh, Charlotte, to become mm-hmm. the head coach, you know, you'd been, you've worked for some really great people. You know, uh, Mike is a fabulous coach. Bob Thomas yeah. an awesome coach. Thad, none better. Here's the question I always ask the assistants. Were you ready? <laughs> I think... Uh... I guess if a doctor asks a father when he's ready, if he's ready when he hands that baby to him, yeah, that's kind of the, that's kind of how it is, you know. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess uh, I, I don't know if you, anybody's ever ready, you know, yeah. because they always, you know, they talk about that funny deal in coaching, the eighteen inches yeah. over, you know, and you can sit in one seat for a long, long time, and then when you slide over, you go from making suggestions to all of a sudden making decisions. And uh, I still remember coming down to Florida to visit mm-hmm. with you uh, after I got hired, and we just talked about the the scope of of you know attacking the whole thing. And um, you know, I can share this now. I mean, one of the questions I was asked in the interview for the Charlotte job uh, was, um, if you and your staff you know get this job, uh, how would you go about changing the culture? And I that that question I didn't quite see it coming you know when you're in an interview you're thinking you're going to hear you know what's your offense philosophy style of play Um, maybe why should we hire you Um, what's your philosophy on discipline or academics or you know on and on and on and uh, literally probably the very first question now that I recall was that one about culture Uh, and so I, I probably can't remember verbatim what I said I just remember about 10 minutes later I stopped talking <laughs> but, uh, but um that was our our charge as I got there and we got embroiled in, in being at Charlotte is that um you know obviously Bobby Lutz had been there for a long time and had done a tremendous job and and Judy felt uh, for various reasons that she was ready to go another direction and so culture was our big challenge um and um, changing this kind of, you know, restructuring the way guys approach things, approach their lives, approach academics, approach, um, the, the game itself and developing and, um, and that type of thing. So it was obviously challenging, uh, in that first year, you know, we had a very tough year, but, um, we had to make some tough decisions, uh, in that first year. But we also had some flashes of going in the right direction, which the next few years we were able to do so uh, in various ways. So, um, you know, uh, I don't think uh, you're ready. Um, put it this way. You're not ready till you get there. <laughs> yeah, I, me- I remember. Ch- I remember. And when you get, then when you get there, you, you, you've got no choice. <laughs> I remember Chuck Daly, when we left the Magic, they uh, asked him if he'd be nice enough to I've never heard it happen before in the NBA where if he would interview and help them pick the next coach, uh, and, wow. and he interviewed Scott Skiles and doc rivers. 
And uh, he asked each of them that same question. Are you ready? Mm. And mm-hmm. and each guy said, you know, and each each guy had never been a, a coach. And, you know, and they each said, oh, yeah, I'm ready. And I remember Doc, who's, you know, was very, very, very close to and played for me in Atlanta for eight years, drafted him. And, he, and, I, and later on, you know, Doc said, yeah, I'm ready. And Chuck said to him, you think you're ready? But you have no freaking clue. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? And, 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 and and Doc to this day says, I had no clue, you know, (laughs) but you think you do. And he had played in the league and everything for 13 years and everything. But when you do take that position, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'm dating our podcast somewhat, but I heard this morning on first take uh, one of the guys saying that Tony Romo should be the next coach of the Cowboys. Oh, my God. You know, and and, you know, you know, going from quarterback to announcer on TV and then to the head coach, it's not as yeah. easy as do you think, you know. No, it's not. No, no, it's and, not. But what was, uh, you know, what? Tell me about how hard is it? I and I think it's one of the most critical aspects of becoming a head coach mm-hmm. is hiring a staff. Mm-hmm. You know, many guys go and hire, and I think especially when you go from assistant to a head coach for the first time. We many times we go and say, "I'm going to hire one or two of my friends," <laughs> you know, right. you know, because yeah. right. we pro- we promised really each other, whichever one of us yeah. got a head job, I'm hiring right. you, or you know, and you do all that <laughs> silly stuff. Uh, and, and how did you go about that? And if you had to do it again, how would you do it? You know, or what um, would you look for, et cetera, at, at the collegiate level? I, I think I, I really felt good about my staff. I, those guys, I'm forever grateful to uh, Orlando Vandross, who's now a player development guy with Tony Bennett at Virginia. Yep. Uh, Ryan Odom, Dave Odom's son, who's a head coach at UMBC. Yep. And uh, Desmond Oliver, who's assistant coach at Tennessee. So yep. um, all three of those guys, I I did I, what I felt my best vetting uh, and – Asking them, uh, one of the things I asked them was as from a recruiting perspective, because, you know, you've seen it in college basketball. All three guys obviously are going to be on the road and doing their deal. But one of my philosophies in recruiting was every every guy is uh, is our guy. And, I, and my point was, I don't want you to come here in recruiting and have a my guy philosophy, meaning, you know, this is my guy and I'm the only one that's going to talk to him. And, you know, uh, so the whole point in recruiting, which is crucial is we're going to, we're going to, it's going to be a community service project here. And, uh, you know, whenever a kid's on the phone, uh, a guy would either bring him in and let me talk to him. Or if I got somebody on the phone, I'd put him on speaker and the whole staff would come in. That's great. And, you know, we called it Charlotte talk radio. As a matter of <laughs> fact, it was kind of our little funny, thing for recruits and parents we just say hey we got you on charlotte talk radio right now we got coach odom in here you know coach vandross and coach oliver welcome to the show oh know? that's great and so it was fun and the uh, the thing that i felt good about is every kid that we had commit to us they always would say to the media i felt like those guys wanted me that's uh, great he never said it was just coach oliver wanted me and Coach Major and Coach Odom were my guys, and he didn't mention the other two. So that was a big deal, and and I I think our guys embraced that. Those three did a great job of that. And uh, one of my criteria, though, honestly, outside of basketball and hiring, was 
I wanted guys who were great uh, husbands and fathers because if they have that part of their lives solidified, I know when they walk into that building every day that our, our team is going to get that same feeling from them. They're going to be treated the same way. It's very hard not to be a good husband and father um, or you know, very hard to be a good husband and father. And then all of a sudden, some strange metamorphosis happens on the drive in from home to the office and you, you turn into an ogre, you know? So um, that was a big deal for me because I wanted the players to feel as embraced as these guys, sons and daughters did. Exactly. And, and so that was a big deal for me. I mean, and I knew, you know, I'd done enough to know these guys knew their basketball, you know, uh, that, that is what it is. There's guys everywhere who know basketball. But there's not great husbands and fathers everywhere. Uh, and there's not guys everywhere that want to be unselfish about recruiting. A lot of times it's, you know, uh, maybe guys want to recruit and then get their name on a website or a scouting, get their name dropped on Twitter or something. This guy was instrumental in getting this class and yep. try to use that to propel himself into a job. And, you know, you know the story. Uh so we really wanted to embrace those two things, you know, sharing the, the load and recruiting, know my guy, he's our guy. And then just a great husbands and fathers, you know, perspective with the staff, because again, uh, that way every door is open. Every kid feels comfortable about coming around the office and, and having a good time. And, and, uh, and then when we got to be locked in, we'll be locked in. But um, that was just something that I felt was vital especially for the atmosphere and the culture that we were trying to build. Alan, you worked at really high level program in Ohio state and you were around Purdue when they were rolling, uh, and Xavier, of course, what, you know, I know it breaks all of our hearts when we see what happened, uh, in September with the scandal and stuff coming out with the FBI stuff. Mm -hmm. If you were to take a job tomorrow mm -hmm. at the D one level, mm -hmm. what would you tell your staff regarding that stuff? In terms of what's happened, behavior, at this point. behavior, uh, uh, yeah. you know, what I mean, yeah. like, I, I, I mean, obviously, we, we're basically the 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 narrative out there that because I I deal with a ton of schools, you know, yeah. and my you know consulting business, and almost everywhere they act like these are rogue guys that just mm -hmm. left and did something. So if that be the case. You know, guys from good programs. What would you say now? As and we know now at, at the NCAA Division One level, the head coach is responsible for the actions of your assistants. Do we need to have this conversation? Had they had those conversations, what what would you do differently now that this has really popped into the open? We always worried about NCAA violations. Every right. staff did, you know, but this is different. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. It is and. You know what? I think um, I think what I would say to my staff yeah. uh, would shape would be shaped by who I hire. Amen. Um, and I, I'm not dodging your question. No, I, no. But I, but I'm what I'm saying. I, I is, threw you a curveball. I, 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 you know, it's just yeah, something I, I just I threw. I, I hope I, I at I least just... hit it to the opposite field gap. But um, <laughs> you know, that, that's when you're a big time player where you can hit the other hit the ball the other way. But but my point is. If I have the right staff and I have those very same principles that I talked about just a moment ago, uh, which I would hunt for again, 
Um, so now, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the philosopher Albert Camus had a great, uh, a great line. Um, he says, integrity has no need of rules. And so, you know, if I have guys that are good husbands, are good fathers that are lined up and do their business the right way, uh, I can trust them around our players. If I can trust them in those two settings to know when they're at home, they're going to be solid and they're going to be, you know, obviously locked in and they're doing their, their thing. And then when they come to the building every day, they're going to be solid. If they got two of those boxes checked, I got a pretty good feeling that when they leave the building to go recruit, that they're going to have things lined up the right way too. And, and that's what I love about that quote. That's you a know, great quote. Inte- integrity has no need of rules. And, uh, and as much rule making, it gets thrown around. I, that's the one thing that you can't, you can't legislate. You can't legislate integrity. And so, um, I think that's so important, uh, in this whole process. And, and unfortunately, uh, our game has gotten tattered by, uh, you know, by some, uh, unfortunate decisions. And I think you and I both know those guys aren't the only ones. No. Um, they just happen to be the ones that got caught. Exactly. And, uh, I hope that it triggers long-term reform as opposed to it being just an immediate kind of scare tactic where everybody says, well, all right, you know, are they, they're watching us now or whatever. I mean, I, I think the guys that are doing things right, I think there's probably way more out there doing right than aren't. And the guys that are doing things right will continue to do things right because of that same quote I just mentioned. Yeah. And the, and the ones that aren't are going to always kind of maybe hunt to find a way to skirt things. So, you know, I, I hope though long-term it, this unfortunate incident or leads to some, some healthy conversation and dialogue that will eventually lead to some long-term reform yeah. uh, amongst the three entities. You hit it out of the park. Great answer. Um, okay, let's get to something that's super important. And because of our friendship, uh, I had huge concerns over. When you're at Charlotte, all of a mm-hmm. sudden you have a health scare. Uh, share what you want about it and also the encouragement that you've given publicly to people about taking care of themselves. Well, uh, it was kind of a, a two-pronged uh, yeah. issue. One, one was a little bit more uh, serious than the other, but both obviously serious parts of the body in turn concerning my eyes and heart. Uh, my my family has a obviously a history of heart issues. My dad had passed away of congestive heart failure. Uh, my uncle uh, died on his lawn in Chicago uh, several years ago uh, of a heart attack. Um, I had an aunt, another uh, aunt, can pass away of congestive heart failure. So it it's runs in our family, heart issues. And, uh, but, uh, so th- that was one issue I was dealing with from a, uh, I called them flutters or, uh, you know, the, kind of like a severe form of like palpitations that were really, uh, they were just random and they were happening at any time. And, uh, above the normal ones we get every time we get our ass kicked and lose a game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. You got those. Yeah. yeah. You have those yeah. every day. Yeah. I have them often. Home. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, uh, and then the other issue was uh, a case of glaucoma that had gotten far more advanced than it, uh, way more advanced than it needed to be. And uh, 
so they measure your eyes when you go get checked for glaucoma. And I had been having some, um, you know, blurry spots and some, uh, you know, really sensitivity to, to the practice facility lighting and everything. And so I went and got checked. Uh, this probably would have been 2011 mm-hmm. uh, when I first got checked. And healthy eye pressure is around 9 or 10. They kind of measure each eye and they give you a number. Okay. And so, uh, you know, one eye might be nine and the other eye might be 11 or whatever. But that's pretty good. Well, when I first got diagnosed, my left eye was 29. My right eye was 32. Oh. So the doc kind of pulled the little machine back and he said, you lean back in the chair for a second. And uh, he says, we, we've got to attack this and he said, I know your team needs a full court press at times, coach. Um, it's time to full court press this eye issue. So for three years, from 11 to 2014, I was on three different eye drops a day, three times per day, uh, every single day, 365 days a year, uh, just to try to bring the pressure down. And the best we could do was get it to the high teens. And then uh, I had a specialist at Duke uh, that I would go to see three or four times a year. He performed one procedure that kind of temporarily handled things. And then, um, then it kind of, you know, re- recurred again. Long story short, in the summer of 2014, it was best for me to step away from coaching altogether. And I, for six months, I was basically like sequestered. Uh, after taking some, uh, I had one eye that had to get done, uh, and they can't operate on both eyes at once. So they do one procedure and then it's like a six to seven week minimum recovery where you got to go back to the doc every single week. And I have to wear, had to wear a patch and, or like a shield and couldn't scratch it, couldn't rub it, couldn't touch it, anything. So then as that eye heals, then they do the do another procedure again. So I had one procedure done in May. And then in between both eyes getting done, uh, I had had a, uh, a heart procedure done that uh, allowed me to kind of get a little better grip on, uh, you know, the, the ticker. And then uh, the other eye was done um, that uh, early August. And, you know, in retrospect, I probably, you know, we were heading into year five. Um, we had had a really good 2000 or a really good year three. We're 21 and 12. Um, went to the postseason for the first time in five years at Charlotte, had won the Great Alaskan Shootout. Then the, the next year, uh, 2014, um, we had uh, uh, ended up winning the Puerto Rico Shootout uh, that fall. I ended up, uh, I went back to work that September. In retrospect, I probably should have taken the year off, you know, just to try to just totally reset, hit the reset button. Um, so I went back in, to work in September, all the recruiting, all the speaking, all the stuff that I normally would have done in the summer, I kind of squeezed into a month and a half period bef- before the season started, uh, which wasn't wise. And so by January, I, I was not very good at all. I was absolutely dragging, um, and basically stepped away for the back part of the season. Um, and the, the staff again, to this day, I'm for you know, eternally grateful for, they took over and finished out the best they could. And, um, and it got to the end of that year, I had a conversation with Judy and we, 
basically met in the middle. And uh, I said, you know, I think I'm ready to take a break. Uh, and I, and I think for her, it was a good decision that we both made because from a stability standpoint, you know, had I charged on now, if I have to take another leave in the fall, now we're kind of back where we are again, Yeah, you know? So it was like, it was best for, for both of us. And, uh, you know, I gave her a big hug, uh, when we made the decision, I said, Hey, our professional relationship may be ending, but I said, our friendship is going to last forever. And if that ends, it's on us. And so, um, uh, I've been down to Charlotte a few times since then and gotten together with her and her husband for dinner. Uh, we still stay in touch. I wish her you know, the absolute best just in life and, and everything much less professionally. But, um, you know, we just felt like there's a right way to do this at the ending to where nobody's throwing a chair at the other one on the way out the door. I mean, so many times that happens. And uh, I said, we can be professional about this. And maybe just maybe we could show the college athletic world there's a way to do this the right way and and have it be done gracefully. And, and to the point where we waited you know, we, we told our, our sports ID, uh, sports information guy, don't release anything about me leaving Charlotte until they start to announce the first bracket of the NCAA tournament on that Sunday. It was March 15th. I still remember. So we just used the smoke screen of the NCAA tournament to kind of make the announcement because it didn't, we didn't want to make it bigger than it was. Um, so, but from a health perspective, I think it's important, especially for African American males in their forties to go get their eyes checked because uh, we're the target group African-American males in your 40s for glaucoma. Uh, obviously, heart disease is the number one killer in the United States. So, uh, But eyes being checked is, is crucially important. Uh, and the, the coaches, as us, we always say, what's our favorite phrase? You know, I'll get around to it. Yep. And, we're the worst. Uh, you we're don't want to keep waiting to get yeah. around to it because the the around to it will come and get you before you get around to it. And so, <laughs> I the around to it came and got me. <laughs> That's true. You know, but you what I've always loved about you, Alan, is that you have an incredible spirit about you, great human spirit. But you know, and and you're so full of energy and positivity, and that's why I think you know you're so neat to be around. So what what you know. I know you went back and you helped that last year and you did it, you know, developed a great thing there, but what's next now for you? Mm -hmm. Step outside of coaching for a second. Mm -hmm. You know, tell me, tell, tell the people that are listening of which there are many that are interested. If you're, if your career takes a speed bump, you can't sit at home and wallow and feel sorry for yourself. Obviously. What have you done to say what's next? Yeah. You know, what do we tell our players, Brendan, all the time, right? Like, um, whether it's a, a turnover, uh, a bad sequence, and you come into a four minute, you know, under media timeout, under whatever part of the game, media timeout, uh, or you lose a game, you know, we always, you always say next play, right? I mean, we, we preach it all the time. Uh, now, uh, sometimes in coaching, you actually got to live it. You know, and so it's one thing to to preach it during games and then practice to get to the next play. Sometimes life asks you ask you to get to the next play, and uh, obviously when Thad's departure was unexpected, you know, like I mentioned in June, and you know that well, we didn't see it coming, and so 
Um, I did what any other coach would do. You know, the next play is see if you can land somewhere. Well, June's very late, you know, in our, in our deal, you know, for landing somewhere. And I explored, uh, several NBA opportunities, college scouting stuff, um, even a couple of potential special assistant to the head coach, you know, in division one opportunities that didn't come to fruition. But, um, you know, Dabo Sweeney has a great quote. He says, God never says oops, you know? And so, um, what happened is I knew that my mom and sister were moving back to Indianapolis. Uh, my mom's 84. My sister's a nurse, uh, works here in Indianapolis at St. Vincent. So I knew they were moving back here from Kansas city in our original family home. And so the next play, ironically, is I, I didn't get a job. It, it was actually beneficial. Uh, one being blessed enough to financially be able to pay myself for an, one more year, but also uh, being able to be here. And I, I got here to India a month before they did. Uh, and I was able to help facilitate the house and, and just some things to get ready for them to move back in. And, um, it's allowed me to be around, you know, uh, my family again, um, you know, being a single guy, no wife, no kids. So, um, I don't have a team this year, but what that's great is I've gotten to be around my original team. Uh, and so what a, you know, that's kind of a blessing in disguise that I didn't land anywhere this year because, maybe this is where I needed to be right now, you know, uh, for this timing and for this stage and this season. And so, um, so that's been a number one is helping them get settled and get into a routine and, and, uh, be around them. And we had Thanksgiving dinner back in our original house again for the first time since 2010. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, just an awesome, you know, deal. So that's a number one is just, uh, helping the family get resituated and, and um, get into a routine. Uh, number two for me is, is I've been writing a book. It's called Seasons of the Game. Uh, and basically just my life and lessons and, and journey in both, you know, basketball and just things that have shaped me, people that have shaped me, events that have shaped me. Um, and so the preseason is kind of my life growing up as a kid all the way up until getting to Purdue then the regular season phase of the book is starting at Purdue, being in the coaching, and then kind of the postseason is since I left Charlotte, you know, and now that whole the shift of even now the book is actually ironically being written as I live, uh, <laughs> and then the end of the book will kind of be next season, and that may just be a few blank pages with a dot 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 because who knows, <laughs> but. Uh, been an unbelievably cathartic experience. I'm writing it longhand, so any ghostwriters out there, hit me up because I'm looking for somebody to That's do some edit- editing for me. But it flows out of me easier through my hand. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've been doing that. Um, I've been planting some speed uh, seeds for speaking and consulting. So, uh, um, just uh, actually next week, I'm going to Pacific Lutheran University for a two day consultation uh with both men's and women's basketball staff so just trying to share things that i've been through um and and share experiences uh with first year head coaches or young coaches or young staffs so um i'll put i'll leave more information about that when we finish up in case anybody wants to reach out um 
So there's a company here in town that's helping me with a website and facilitate some of that. So that's part two is just kind of a personal developing thing with the book and, and the speaking and consulting stuff. And then part three is just continuing to learn, you know, um, what a, what a, what a blessing to be back here in Indianapolis. And I, I live right next door to the Pacers practice facility. So I've been able to watch those guys practice and been to several games. Um, went to IU Duke game last night and obviously knowing Arch from being at Ohio state together, I've seen those guys practice a few times. I've been over to Butler, been up to Purdue, been up to Notre Dame. So all these guys have just been so gracious to let me hang around and, and, uh, and just kind of steal from them. So between the family piece, the, the, per, the personal growth piece with the book and the, the website and the speaking and the consulting part, and then the learning part is just continuing to be a student yeah. of the game and stay fresh and keep a fresh mind about growing. Uh, and then if there's a fourth piece, two nights a week, I help my best friend's fifth grade basketball team down in Greenwood, Indiana. We actually got practice tonight. So, uh, those kids have given me a chance to have a team when I don't have a team. So uh, that's been a blast. I tell you what, you know, you are so much fun to be around and talk to. And, you know, and I, I enjoy it. You're, you're just one of the special people around the game. And that's why it's such a great game that we're able to meet people like, you know, that we have this friendship, uh, you know, and met each other in Villa seven years ago. Uh, oh, man. You know, yeah. And, and I, you know, I remember too, it. But, you know, I, I thank you for coming on and sharing your story because it's such a personal story. But, you know, we've all we all have one. And uh, yeah. And and you're an inspiration to so many coaches that we have out there that are listening. Alan, and I, I thank you so much. Hey, if people want to get in touch, could you give them a, a, an email address in case they want to track you down? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's um, A major, um, so first initial, last name, the number three, uh, at me.com. Perfect. Uh, at M-E as in me, myself, and I, me.com. Uh, they could reach out. they got any questions, uh, anyone interested potentially in a uh, consultation of any kind, if you're trying to grow your staff or, or anything like that, uh, uh, or speaking opportunities, but not trying to – overplug the, uh, the 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 business here but but um or if anybody just wants to, to reach out and just uh, chop it up about uh, the what we've discussed today because um i love when you and, and kevin eastman talk about it the one thing you guys always talk about is the phrase our game yeah you know uh, that is the most precious thing to me uh, you know when you guys do that because it is you know um it's something that we've all just been uh, unbelievably blessed to be a part of and uh, nobody it's it's so much bigger than all of us and so uh, just all of us being able to have the little pieces in it or parts in it that we've been able to play it's been it's a it's a blast and so hopefully it'll be a chance to do it again here at some point come springtime all right alan thank you so much and i know our listeners enjoyed be good my friend thank you buddy appreciate you having me I know you're excited and you really enjoyed Alan. Alan and I, I told him, you know, we might make, should have made this a two-day series because he and I, when we get going, it's like two best friends. They're just meeting. And as I try to do with all of our podcasts, I like that like we're sitting around a table just having a conversation over a meal and that you're all eavesdropping on it. So uh, I don't apologize for the length because uh, – 
You know, I, I think one of the things is is that when you tell a story, I think it's important that you tell the story. Uh, Alan is a special human being and one of my dearest friends and one that I think all coaches can resonate with. I know you're excited hearing about what we released this past, you know, at Coaching You with our Pushing Coaching You Live. Coaching You Live this July, our 10th anniversary, is going to be our best ever. Best speakers best presenters, best venue in Las Vegas, all VIPs. The VIP experience, 100 people courtside only. You have a Christmas special. You have one month through December 31 for two ninety nine. Take advantage of it. Till next week, the coach, Brendan Sarah.